0: and adulterous keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me so now our father and our god we Come as your people before this, your word. And our prayer is that you would speak. Spirit of God, would you speak in power what you have spoken in this passage? Would you cause us to hear and to receive and to believe? And Lord, I pray as a human instrument that you would not allow a single person to leave this room unaffected by your word. Change us, O oh God. Teach us. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Change what we love. Change our concerns. Change what we can bear what we, we care mostly about. Change what we live for. Oh God. For your glory we pray. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter thirteen. Uh, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews here at Redeemer. And those of you that have been with us the whole way thought, yay, chapter 13, we're almost there. And I, uh, I've hit the brakes. Uh, I just I pulled the parking brake. We're going to spend a few few weeks here. Here's why. These six verses of Hebrews 13, and, and we could probably argue the, the whole, all of chapter 13. But they're written to teach the, the people of God how God desires us to live. That's why they're written. These verses are written to teach the people of God how God desires us to live. And so I don't think it's good to fly by. I want to slow down. I want to dig deep. And I um, I want to pray that the Lord will change each one of us. And so the main point of These six verses, which Regina just read for us, is this. God cares deeply how His children live in His world. God cares deeply how His children live in His world. And I would just argue that God is far more invested in the kingdom that He's building than we ever could be. But He's inviting us to join Him in a work that will last forever. That's the invitation today. So let's look at these verses and let's let's see how the arguments being made and and, and as I said, let's pray that God would 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 shape all of us. Um, so I would just want you to walk away from here today, saying, "I've heard the Lord speak, and I'll be different. I heard the Lord speak, and I'll believe. I heard the Lord speak, and I'll obey." That's my prayer. I hope you would pray that even now as as we begin to look at the passage. So the first point, if if you like taking notes, is kingdom, life, and love. And so what this passage is is arguing is, is what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. It's going to show us what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom, and it's going to shape that through things that we love how we love and express commitment. So to get this this sense, let's go back actually to the last two verses of chapter 12. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, the us here are... All who by faith in Christ belong to God. All who by faith in Christ have been um, transferred from the, the kingdom of darkness and sin and rebellion into the kingdom of light and love and mercy and grace. And what this passage says is that everyone who knows Christ belongs to the kingdom. We've received it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to perform for it. We don't have to knock on the door and beg for our entrance. Jesus has purchased our place in His kingdom. And get this, that cannot be shaken, it will last forever. It will last forever. So the implication is, everything that's of the kingdom will last forever. Every effort, every prayer, every investment, every action, every word that's for the building of the kingdom will endure forever and everything else will be shaken away and will not last. Thus, says the author of Hebrews, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And what he's saying is, let everything that we are Our words, our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our reading of the Scripture, our moving about the church, how we walk with our family, how we do our work, how we spend our leisure time, how we spend our money. Let everything be done with reverence toward God and in awe of God as a way to worship God. That is to thank Him and praise Him for the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what this passage is shouting out to us is as the children of God, we belong to a kingdom and all of our living is invited to be devoted to that very kingdom. I kind of just want to say amen and go sit down, but, but you're rightly saying, okay, but how? How? And the first six verses of, of chapter 13 are going to show us how. So before we get to the how, I have a statement and a question. Because if I'm going to camp out here for several weeks, then my job is to keep us focused on this idea of kingdom. If we belong to the kingdom of Jesus, Then the string of imperatives in chapter 13, sitting under the the invitation to offer a life of acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe, says to us that God cares deeply how we live as His children. He cares. These instructions are not in vain. They're not extra they're not extra credit they're not icing on the cake they are the warp and the woof of the what it means to belong to Jesus and live in the world that belongs to him God cares deeply how we live But I would also say that these imperatives that we're going to look at about the kingdom they're the path of blessing they're the path of flourishing they're the path of joy they're the path of what is good and celebrating it these these commands aren't to repress us but they are good So believe that God cares how we live because we belong to His kingdom. And then a question perhaps of motive. If we belong to the kingdom, then whose approval do we seek? The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, that we could be forgiven of our sin made right with God, accepted into His presence, welcomed into His family where we belong with Him forever. If that is true, then whose approval do we even need? Everything's from Christ and for Christ and to Christ and unto Christ and so let's live for Christ and be free from all other loves and all other desires because they can't carry us Eternally, forever, they will fade away. I want Christ to be honored. I want Christ's love to dwell within me. I want to love what Christ loves. This is the impulse of the kingdom. And this is the invitation, I believe, of Hebrews to us. And so then as we move into chapter 13, second point for note-takers, five loves. There's a string of commands But I don't think they're just actions like go to the grocery store, check, make your bed, check. But that'd be cool, what if? Is that simple, right? It's not that. It's, it's, It's commands that are dispositions of the heart. It's commands that are postures of the person. It's commands that occupy the totality of who we are. But but before we even get into them, hear this. Each one of these honors Jesus. Each one of these is the work of the kingdom. Each one of these is the work of the church. And each one of these will bear fruit through God's grace. So what are these five loves, these five dispositions that we're called to? By the way, we looked at two last week, we're only looking at one today, but I'm going to give you all five of them. Verse 1, the first disposition is love God's people. Love God's people. Second, the disposition in verse 2 that we will look at today, and we'll come back to, love strangers. Third, the disposition that we did look at last week love suffering brothers that's really a subset of love God's people it's particularly love the people of God who are suffering for loving God verse 4 love marriage and everybody singing love and marriage love. anyway sorry um. and then verse 5 Funny, one of you helped me with this last week because I was really stumbling on how to make this not sound clunky. Love contentment. And so we're going to spend time looking at all of these. But if you put it all together, love God's people, love stranger, love suffering brothers, love marriage, love contentment. There's something freeing here. The work of the kingdom is not that difficult to get our minds around and yet there's a deep calling. The work of the kingdom requires a powerful working of the Holy Spirit to change my dispositions and who I am and yet the Lord has promised that He will be with us to help us build His kingdom. God's with us in this work. But I think often we as the church maybe are guilty of talking about entering the community of faith, We call that evangelism, And then we talk about this thing, discipleship, growing as Christians. And then we talk about this other thing, like building the kingdom, that's almost like ethereal and out there, and maybe you do that if you have time. But I think what we see here is that the work of the kingdom, it's all this one thing. Through the work of Jesus, we enter the kingdom. Through the work of Jesus, we grow as disciples. Through the work of Jesus, we join Him in building the thing that He's building. It's all this thing... And these verses, these five loves, are, are showing us how to live as citizens of the kingdom. And so today, I want us to look at this second disposition: love strangers." And so today, we're looking at one verse of Scripture, Hebrews 13:2: "Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels." unawares. So look at the first half of that. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. There's a command to action to show hospitality, but if you dig into the original language here a little bit, it's not just a command to do the work of showing hospitality like like go to the grocery store, check, or make your bed, check, but it's actually a command to be a lover of strangers. It's a command not just to do, but it's a command to love. Love strangers. So you get in verse 1, love one another, let brotherly love continue. And then you put up against that in verse 2, be one who loves strangers. And I think stranger means stranger. Which means those who are not like us. Those who are separated from us. Those who are far, far off from us, Those whom we don't understand, those whom we're not eager to have a conversation with, those whom we're not close by with and feel brotherly affection for. Stranger is intentionally, I think, set up against brotherly love. And so the idea would be, you who've been loved by God, love one another. You who've been loved by God, love everybody else. Because that's how God loves. So that's what stranger means. So our elders together have been reading a book called The Hospitable Leader. And, and reflecting on this very verse, he says, perhaps it's wise to think of love of stranger as the opposite of xenophobia. So xenophobia is an irrational fear of those who are different from us. So xenophobia would be you're walking through Walmart, and Hendersonville is a really bad place to do what I'm talking about. Like, like the Walmart on no Road, In Nashville okay so you're walking through that Walmart and and you see all these people who are different from you and not like you and buying the things you would never let your kids buy and doing all the things that that you just don't make peace with and the idea of xenophobia is like uh 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 right like I don't have a spot for that but what this passage is saying is rather than I saying hey come over here and let's chat let me get to know you. Let me hear your story. Let me engage with you. So friends, what I'm saying is the command do not neglect to show hospitality is far, far broader than sharing a meal. It's sharing life. It's saying there's space for you here. And that is the implication of the kingdom, we are the people who love strangers well, because that is the disposition of our Savior. That's how we entered the kingdom. So, where does this idea of loving stranger come from? I think it comes from the very disposition of Jesus that the kingdom's built upon. So, turn over, if you will, to Hebrew. I mean, not. Gosh, I did that in the first service. I'm over two to Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. I'm going to read seven verses of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. And I want you to listen for this stranger language in what Paul is saying. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's all of us who were separated from the promises of God, called the uncircumcision. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Now, in those verses, how does the Apostle Paul posture the gospel of Jesus? How does he posture the kingdom of Jesus? Our Savior came and pursued us who were far off that we might be brought near, redeemed, and into the kingdom. Do you see that in the passage? the impulse of Jesus in salvation is is going to those who are far away and bringing them near. So often, rightly, in the theology of Paul, the gospel of Jesus is presented, remember I said rightly, is presented as we are sinners and God has wrath against us and Jesus came and took the wrath. That's true. That is exactly what happened. But this presents the gospel from another, not way of thinking, but another way of understanding the depths of it. We were those by our sin who were far from God, and Jesus came to bring us near. So the kingdom is built around a gospel of a Savior who takes away the wrath of God and the separation from God and brings wretched sinners near to walk in the grace of God. That's the impulse of the kingdom. And so all Hebrews 13.2 is saying is, let that love of God extended to you shape how you live in this world. Be a welcomer of strangers because our Savior is a pursuer of those who are far off. That's the argument of the passage. So the passage says. Verse 1 said, let brotherly love continue. So the idea is we've been loved, so let's love. Verse 2, continue to show hospitality to strangers. The Lord sought us and redeemed us, and we live in that way. Christians, by the grace of God, For the kingdom of Jesus be pursuers of those who are distant and far off that they might be brought near in her book the gospel comes with a house key I feel like Rosaria Butterfield sets this idea up beautifully when she says this radical ordinary hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. So the idea is we who have been sought and pursued by the Lord, let us seek and pursue and invite and tear down walls and build relationships such that we live and function as neighbors and by ambassadors of the king, living in neighborly love with one another, others enter the family of God. That's the vision of what God is calling us to in this passage. So Christian, child of God, He's calling us to live hospitably toward strangers. And friends, I don't think we're doing the passage a service if we reduce hospitality to merely sharing a meal. Sharing a meal is part of it. It might be the main part of it for some of us. But hospitality is making the physical, the emotional, and the caring space for others to be a part of the orb of our lives in such a way that they feel loved like neighbors. And hopefully feel the love of God and be welcomed into His family. Now, I want to ask this question. Who are the strangers? Who are the strangers? Most scholars believe that in this particular passage, the strangers were visitors from out of town who not only needed uh, some food and a place to rest, but even a place to sleep and stay overnight. So it was a pretty full-orbed understanding of showing hospitality to strangers. But the strangers here were those whom we didn't know. We didn't have comfort with. They may or may not have been believers, but they were from out of town And and most scholars point out that in this time period, hotels were kind of like brothels. And if you didn't want to be known at the brothel, then you had to find a place to stay. And so what he is saying is, be the welcomer of those whom you literally do not know, who literally you have nothing in common with. Share love with them. That's the stranger. Now I want to think about Hendersonville, because now instead of having two hotels, we have five. So hotels are good. So who are the strangers here in this community? I just want to reflect on that for a few minutes. This is application. Number one, Hendersonville is a very hard place to be new. And so everyone who is new to this community, by definition, is a stranger in need of hospitality. Statistics say we get 85 new strangers a day. Plenty of work to be done. Now listen, if you're old school Hendersonville and your family's lived here since like 1840, I apologize in advance for what I'm about to say, but this is a very hard place to be new. Actually, that was the only amen I got in the first service. We must understand that in the last mayoral election, A candidate ran under the slogan, keep the Madison riffraff out of our community and was not booed off the stage. Our community used to have a two-peninsula system where one peninsula was made up of insiders and the other peninsula was made up of those who don't fully belong. We have no railroad tracks, but that you see is the other side of the track. Actually, I guess we do have railroad tracks. Never mind, let's just go with it. It's a metaphor. All that to say is it serves us well to just remember that Hendersonville is a hard place to be new. I've never lived in White House or Gallatin or Westmoreland or Springfield, but I guess that's probably the case there too. So look up and look out and just recognize that those who are new feel isolated and they need to be welcomed for the glory of Jesus. Number two, Hendersonville is a community, still has deep southern roots, which on many levels I celebrate. There are a number of you today, And every Sunday, who will leave here and go to lunch with mom and them for some good breakfast. See how I said that? Mom and them? Like, that's good Southern, right? For some good lunch and nap and fellowship. And frankly, those of you who are able to do that, I covet. I wish that, that my family still had such a tradition. So keep it. But just remember that everyone in this community doesn't have local family to always make a space and a place for them. And those type of folks feel like strangers. And there's an opportunity to exhibit love to the stranger. And I would... Number three. I'm making a special category for those who are new to our community, without family, who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what they are looking for is a community of faith who will extend welcome and love and comfort, even though they don't fit the the social strata of the community. For everyone new and without family and seeking a community of faith, we have a stranger who is looking for a place to belong. Number four, anyone of a different ethnicity, of a very impoverished background, who speaks a different language, who comes from a different faith tradition, by definition in a very monolithic community, these folks feel like strangers who are eager to be welcomed. This passage doesn't say that our welcoming saves. It says our welcoming is an impulse of the it's an impulse of the kingdom that God will use. So I just want to ask you, will you take some practical steps toward living out this impulse that is a driving impulse in the saving work of Jesus to seek and to save that which is separated and far off? Now, the passage says do something. It says don't neglect to actually show hospitality. Hospitality. And so one thing we know to be true about humanity is that doing things on a regular, consistent basis often changes our loves and changes our dispositions. So frankly, I want and I am praying that the Lord will change your disposition. But the way that He might change your disposition is through a new commitment. A new, I will make space in my life to be a pursuer of those who are far off. So what might that look like? How could you get started? I mentioned earlier a quote from Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And a few summers ago, about 40 of us here at Redeemer read that book. And at the end, just to be honest, I think we all quietly walked away um, struggling. Because she told these stories of waking up at five every morning to make bread for all the people that God would bring to her home and staying up well past uh, midnight caring for all the people that God brought to her home and how this happens daily. And I think like, all the ladies were like, oh no. Uh. <laughs> oh, and she homeschooled her kids. And she taught other people's homeschool kids. And she wrote books. And she was a tenured professor at Syracuse. And and uh, no. So recently I was listening to a podcast with this same very crazy, over-the-top driven lady. And she said this. The the podcaster said, hey, where did it all start? And she said, it all started with a commitment to open our home once a month to whoever God would bring. That's where it all started. And then the results just flowed from him. So I'm just like, what if you just said once a month, my family will open our lives. You don't even have to open your home. You can go to a restaurant. We have them all over Hendersonville. There's like 19 different Mexican joints you can go to to have chips and salsa. But what if you said, Our family once a month will open our lives to those who are far off to those whom we don't know to those whom we wouldn't call friends to those we wouldn't call brothers to those whom don't feel like family so that they can come close and feel like neighbors and God might bring them into his kingdom what if once a month we said we will offer our evening to that end I think God might use it actually I don't think I'm quite confident God would use it um, Redeemer here's another practical Oh, by the way, like, so I realized that my first like, open your home once a month to those who feel like strangers, it's going to cause this weird psychosis, right? Because if I invite you over next Friday night, you're going to go, oh, he doesn't know me. He doesn't feel like my brother. He thinks I'm a stranger. <laughs> That's fine. Come on, because afterward we'll be family. It's good. Don't overthink it. Just go. And all you folks that are new here to Redeemer, I hope that you get like 90 invitations out of this. Like you don't have to cook for like the whole month of February. Maybe. I don't know. I shouldn't create false expectations. Okay, so once a month, guys who are in the workplace, what if you said, I will use one lunch hour a month to steward, to make a connection with those who are far off? Maybe you need something even more tangible. I have my Young Life folks in the service. Okay, we partner with a ministry called Young Life. Do you know what they exist to do? Go seek after teenagers and bring them close that they might meet Jesus. Young Life would give you some practical marching orders to take verse 2 seriously. Um, Angel Pierce was in the first service. We partner with a ministry called Project Connect. They exist to hang out in Madison amongst the homeless and the traumatized and the mentally ill and Seek to build relationships with them that they might enter kingdom of God. Project Connect is an outworking of Hebrews 13, verse 2. Angel Pierce, who was in the first service, she's on the property somewhere, would love to help you make that connection. There's a group of ladies in our church, Lori Giblin being one of them. Hand up, Lori. I'm singling you out. I'll repent later who are intentionally building relationships with the refugee community of Nashville, the essence of stranger brought from another land to here for safety. These ladies are intentionally building relationships with the refugee community for the purpose of becoming neighbors and friends and prayerfully, ultimately, kingdom members, citizens of the kingdom. That's just four ways that you could get started out of millions. What I want you to take away from this is, Seeking to welcome strangers is an act that God will use to change my disposition. And the disposition, one disposition of the kingdom is a love for strangers. Now, for some of you, you're like, amen, pastor. God's worked in my life that way. I'm so glad you're talking about this today. Some of you are probably a little judgmental, like, yeah, I hope everybody gets on board today. Most of us are probably like, I don't, I don't see the connection. I don't see the connection. How does meal with my Islamic neighbor help the kingdom grow? I don't see the connection. And all I want to say is never underestimate what God is up to. Or maybe it's not that you don't see the connection, it's just you don't believe God would use you in that particular way. Never underestimate what God is up to. So we come to the, you're like, yeah, you've only talked about half the phrase. Let's come to the rest of it. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What does that mean? Good question. I think the best way to understand this verse is that, the Jewish tradition had a robust understanding. Angel's just a word that means messenger, so it doesn't mean like being with wings coming down, or it doesn't mean that old CBS show, you've been touched by one, or whatever all that stuff is, right? Like, like angel means messenger, and, and Jewish theology had a robust understanding of God sending messengers. Some rabbis. Maybe to be a little guilt and shame on their their synagogue congregation would teach that God would randomly send an angel to your table to see if you were welcoming. I don't think that's going to motivate you today, but if you want to go with that, go with it, okay? But I think the better way to understand this, this angel unawares thing is to look specifically at Genesis chapter 18. And what's happening in Genesis 18 is Abraham and Sarah. You remember Abraham and Sarah? God called them. God sent them out. God said they were going to have tons of offspring, and they were going to multiply and be a great nation. And so far, they're both really old. They have no offspring, and they have no idea how it's going to happen. Abraham's out sitting one day on a log, and three guys show up. And they say, Abraham, we're going to have dinner with you. And so Abraham, like a good husband, yells, Sarah! Get dinner ready. We have three guests. Now, imagine you're Sarah right there. I'm not being sexist because I would be me too, right? (sighs) Who does he think he is? Just yelling at me, come prepare a meal, just whip it up like I had any time to prepare. (sighs) Now, look, that's not in the Bible. That's just Jamie's reading of the Bible. So you know what happens at the meal in Genesis 18? The three visitors are the Lord himself and two angels. And in the meal, the Lord himself looks at Abraham and Sarah and says, that thing you've been praying for for generations that just won't happen, is going to happen in the next 12 months. God brings his promise to bear and says, it's coming in the next 12 months. As they shared a meal over hospitality to stranger, you, look, I'm not saying that's going to happen But he could. We just never know what God's up to. We never know what God's going to do through these mysterious twists and turns of us blindly, by faith, serving Him and trusting that He'll build His kingdom. He'll do His thing. He'll right the wrongs. He'll heal the weak. He'll... Heal the sick, he'll restore, he'll redeem. We're just going to obey and we're going to live for his kingdom. I think that's the impulse of some even have entertained angels unawares. You have no idea what our great God is up to. Finally, not only do we have no idea what our great God's going to accomplish through it all, But every act of obedience to the kingdom matters to Jesus and will be remembered whether it's fruitful or not. I want to say that one more time. Every act of obedience for the building of the kingdom of Jesus will be seen and remembered no matter whether it bears fruit or not. we got to get our minds around that, friends. You go home tonight, you take this passage seriously, you go out in your yard, you befriend your neighbor. Three weeks from now, he becomes a follower of Jesus. Six weeks from now, we baptize him. A year from now, he's an elder in this congregation. We're gonna celebrate like crazy because the kingdom was grown, right? But you know what else? You go meet your neighbor because you believe God's calling you to do that and nothing ever comes from that, but you loved and you served and you obeyed Jesus. It matters all the same. So let's not get hung up on results. Let's get hung up on the right disposition of the heart. And I'm going to leave you with the very words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right. So get this, the king is talking to the ones who've been blessed, who are the sheep, who are of the kingdom. Come ye who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. And by the way, these aren't antagonistic questions. They're honest questions. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you. Now get this. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Get this. Get what he's saying. We don't connect the dots. We don't know when we did these things to you. You weren't a stranger unaware, at our, an angel unaware at our dinner table as far as we're aware. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What that says to us is go and do go and love, go and bear fruit. The king sees it. The king will honor it. The king will be glorified and the king will love that his children love his kingdom. So an impulse of living for the kingdom is to love strangers actively, intentionally, and well. So here's my question. I want Redeemer Church To be a place that's not content with all the stuff that God's doing in here. But we see those all over this community who are far from Him, and we say, Come. I'll care for you, I'll love you, I'll be your friend. I'll check on you. I'll serve you. I'll pray for you. You don't owe me anything. I just do it because the king has sent me. Come. I believe the Lord would be eager to bless that. The Lord would be eager to honor that. That's what I want our church to be known for. So I just want to ask, will you be a part of the solution? Will you be a part of what God's going to do through us? So our Father and our God... Whatever here is good and right and trustworthy and true and glorifying to you, cause it to live, cause it to be remembered, cause it to bear fruit for the sake of your kingdom. Congregation, as we do each week at this time, we take the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup symbolizing what Christ has done for us. The remembrance calling us to remember that our place in his family is by grace and for his glory. So here at Redeemer, we invite everyone who's a Christian, everyone who's professed faith in Christ for salvation and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, we would ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. Not so much because we want you to miss out on some bread and some juice, but because we want you to know the Savior before we celebrate what he's done. So, so open your Bible back to Ephesians 2. Read that, ponder that, ask this question. Do I know Christ in this way? Could I? And one of us here today would love to help you connect with Jesus and come to know him and be redeemed and forgiven. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we will take them together.